I just hope that we really can just accept and believe it. That, uh, Father, for many of us, <laughs> we want you, but we want so many other things as well, and we kind of put you on the same even keel with all the rest of them. And for the next few moments, especially, we want you above all else. Teach us to long for you and to want you, not just on a Sunday morning when we worship, but every day. Thank you, Father. Amen. Amen. Just a couple of things before we get started. First of all, uh, Marley, where are you? There you go. This is Marley's last Sunday with us. She is on her way to Seattle Pacific University as a freshman this next week, right? Woo! Be praying for you. And uh, again, we've had lots of visitors here this morning. I'm Doug Bailey. I'm the senior pastor of the church. You can fill out some information, give it to us. I'd love to, uh, I'd love to take you out for coffee. A couple of reasons. One, I love coffee. Two, it gets me out of the office. And I'd love, and we have some visitors all the way from Ireland. Anybody from Ireland here who lives in Ireland, would you wave at me right now if you're one from Ireland? There you go. Nice to have you here. We are becoming, we are becoming international. So there you go. Actually, they come about once a year when they're back here for, visit, for a visit, so it's great to have you here. And one final thing. We already did shake hands and all that, but remember, what do we do with our other hand? We shake here, but what do we do with our other one? We turn off those cell phones is what we do. Yeah, that you don't need, no one has to call you. If you are, somebody needs to call you. I mean, you can step outside. We've got the, the sermon piped out there. So um, anyway, now I'm hearing a little bit of a ring back here. Are you guys hearing a ring or is it okay for you? The sound. Just a little. Why don't you bring it down just a bit and I'll try to, there you go. We'll just try to do that for you. There we go. All right, now back to our sermon series. We are still in the series called Seven and a Half Minutes to a rock solid life. There. There it is. Okay, there we go. Seven and a half minutes to it. Now, why is this series called that? We're, we still have several weeks to go. We're almost done. We've been in it since April 1st, I think, something like that. It's been a while. Why is it called this? Well, Jesus preached a sermon in the very beginning of his ministry. You find it in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. We call it the Sermon on the Mount. At the end of that sermon, this is what he said. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. I don't know of too many promises you're going to get from anybody that are greater than this. Jesus has said, look, I know life is tough. I also know that sometimes you don't do it well. I'm going to show you how to be successful in life. I'm going to show you how to face the issues that you're going to face. They're tough ones. I know they're tough ones. I'm going to show you how to do it. If you will take the words that I just spoke, Sermon on the Mount, 5, 6, and 7, Matthew, and if you will put those into practice, you will be able to face everything that comes in your life like you're rock solid. And we call it seven and a half minutes because you can read in seven and a half minutes. Do you remember that? I used to put it up here. Let's see if anybody can remember it. If not, we'll have to put it back up there for a couple more weeks. Ready? I can read the Sermon on the Mount in seven and a half minutes, but to be rock solid, I must put it into practice every day. Good. Not too bad. In other words, it's not just knowing the Sermon on the Mount. 
It's living it. It's putting it into practice. These are not just words of wisdom you kind of file away and you never look at again. Jesus said, look, what I'm trying to show you is how you live, what your priorities should be, how you face some of these difficulties. You do it like that, and you will not fall. Pretty simple. All right? Here we go. Now, we've already done chapter 5. We're in the middle of chapter 6. We have all these sermons online. I talked to somebody yesterday who's actually listening to those sermons online, the podcast. You can go to our website, and our website address is... All right, one more time, all together. Here we go. www.salemfirst.com And you can listen to all the sermons right there, so you can catch up that way. Okay, now... In chapter 6, he's talked about lots of different things, and he was talking about prayer, and he's teaching us how to pray. This is what we've been looking at for the past couple of weeks. Let's read this together. Next slide. Ready? This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Stop right there. This is not a familiar version to you. Actually, the version that you've memorized doesn't exist in Scripture. It doesn't. It's a composite of the three different types that he taught this prayer in both Matthew, Luke, and Mark. And we kind of put them all together and we come up with the one that we normally have memorized. Each one is a little different. Don't let that bother you. If it does bother you, that's another cup of coffee I get to buy you. Okay, come see me and I'll tell you why. All right? There you go. Anyway, when he's all done, when he's all finished with this one, it's what he says next that we're looking at today. And here it is. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Okay. We'll just keep it right there. Let's go back to that slide, please. Okay. Do you see what he just did? He went back and he visited one of the themes of that prayer, but only one. Now think of all the themes in that prayer that he could have done. He could have gone back and said, let's talk a little bit more about about God being our Father, because that was a new concept for people. Uh, Let's go back and talk a little bit about, um, oh, I don't know, about, about God keeping you from the evil one. But he didn't. He went back to the theme of forgiveness. Why would he do that? It's the only part of this, this little prayer that he goes back to. Why would he do that? And here you get the answer. Why do you think Jesus, of all the themes that he could have gone back to really kind of highlight about this prayer he just taught us, he goes back to this particular theme. You tell me why. What? That's why he was here. Okay, forgiveness, good. Why would he go back and visit this particular theme? That's a good answer. What else? Why would he do this, this theme above all other themes? Why? Come on, you got to have a theory. Any ideas? Okay, that's not bad to show that, that we all are sinners. Yes, Carson, I figured you had an idea. Yes, Carson, what is it? Okay, five ideas, all right. So, no, you don't get five. We'll give you the pulpit one day. Go ahead. 
Good. That's not bad. Very good. Yes, sir. Oh, man, see, he's already preached the sermon right there. Okay, okay. Very good. Here we go. Ready. How about this? First of all, did you notice that this is the only part of the sermon that's on us? Because we say, God, your will be done. God, keep me here. God, But this is the only part of the sermon that says, God, this is what I'm going to do. Isn't it? Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. It's the only part of this prayer that's about what I do. And the second reason is this. It's tough, isn't it? As human beings, it is hard to forgive. Some of us hold a grudge and wear it like we wear our skin. Forgiving isn't easy. Some will say, um, Pastor, you know what I've been through. If you'd been through what I've been through, you wouldn't forgive either. And, and you know what? You're right. I've never been raped. I've never had a loved one murdered. Some of you have. I don't know what that's like. I cannot tell you that if those things happened to me that I would be doing any better than you are. I don't know that. I pray I never find out. So I'm not going to preach from just my own experience. What I'm going to do is I'm going to preach to you the word of God. I'm going to tell you what scripture says about forgiveness. I'm going to tell you what Jesus had to say about it. What you do with it at the end is up to you. First of all, let's take a look at this. Why should we forgive? Well, we already talked about it. Someone's already mentioned it. When we forgive, we set other people free. See, the opposite of forgiveness is called holding a grudge. You hold a grudge against someone, you kind of bind them. When someone has a real grudge against you, I mean, not just a made-up one, but something you've really done that hurt them so deeply and they won't forgive you. Isn't it like wearing chains, particularly when you're around them? You can't look them in the eye. You don't want them to be in the same room. I have dealt with families who can no longer come together and celebrate wonderful events like Christmas and birthdays and all their anniversaries because there are so many grudges being held in that family. People cannot even get in the same room. Bound with chains. There is so much freedom in looking at someone and saying, I forgive you. I forgive you. Has anybody ever said that to you? Have you ever been in a situation where you knew you were wrong and you felt like you were bound and then someone comes to you and somehow, somewhere they say, you know what, I forgive you. It's like a weight is lifted right off you. The weight is called a chain. It just drops away and you go, yeah. But when, when you hold that grudge, it's not just the other people who are bound. It's you. When we forgive, we set ourselves free. This is perhaps the worst part of holding that grudge, holding on to what's happened. It keeps us bound to the past. 
Every time you allow someone in the past who has abused you or hurt you and you haven't forgiven them, they continue to hurt you and abuse you even when they're not around you. You give them power over your present because of what's happened in the past. It transfers lordship of our lives away from God and, and onto this person who's hurt you. You give them so much authority and so much power in your, that what they've done in the past is still controlling what you do today. They may not even be alive any longer. And still, they control you. That's what a grudge does. Write this down. For many of us, our rearview mirrors are too big. Now let me explain. I've been driving now for, um, I think about 40 years, something like that. And you know what I have in my car? Of course, I've got all the stuff that I need, but I also have right here. It's called a rearview mirror. And I glance at it every now and then, right? It kind of shows me where I've been, what's happened back there, remind me, it's it's a nice thing to have. But what if my rearview mirror took up my entire windshield? What if I tried to drive down the road, and every time I looked forward, all I was doing was looking behind me? There are going to be several things. First of all, it's all going to be distorted. Because while I'm moving that way, it will look like I'm moving different back there, because it all looks weird. Plus, sizes will be distorted. Things will be bigger back there that really aren't that big. And the last thing is going to happen what? I'm going to crash and burn. For some of you, your rearview mirror is way too big. You're trying to move forward. And all you see is back there. It's like driving with a huge rear view mirror. You're bound and you got to let it go. One final reason to forgive is very simple. When we forgive, we are in the image of our Father. You know, in Christianity particularly evangelical, holiness, Christianity, who we are here as a church, one of our goals is to become like God, and not God in power, but in character, just like Jesus. We, we look at him and go, man, that's, that's how we should be living. And you know, sometimes we get this idea that we're, we're like God and we're in his image when we don't do those social sins that we talk about that people have a problem with, you know, I don't know. Some people think it's smoking. It's not, believe me. Smoking has nothing to do with whether you know God or alcohol or dancing. I grew up in a holiness church where, my word, dancing was worse than anything else. You get kicked out more for dancing than uh, anything else. Those are silly things. And we actually thought back then that, that that made us like God, like somehow God didn't dance. I don't know. They have nothing to do with it. It's nonsense. You want to be like God? You want to be in his character? You want to be like Jesus Christ? You want to grow and be in his image? Then learn to forgive. Because God is in the forgiveness business. That's what he does. Look at this passage. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive 
as the Lord forgave you. You want to be an image of God? You want to be an image of Jesus? You want to grow in your spirituality? Forgive as the Lord forgave you. It has nothing to do with what you put into your body or your dancing or not dancing. Being an image of Jesus Christ is acting like Jesus. And Jesus forgives. Now, for the rest of our time here, then this morning, let's focus in on this. How to forgive. See, it's one thing to say you have to forgive. It's one thing for Jesus to come back and say, boy, if you do not forgive, God won't forgive you. It's a completely different idea to learn how to do it. How to forgive. Ready? Here we go. First of all, accept who you really are and what you've really done. And you say, now wait a minute, wait a minute. This is about me forgiving somebody who's hurt me. What about them? No. You know there's that book we've all read, The Purpose Driven Life, and it all begins with, it's not about you. Well, guess what? Forgiveness is about you. It starts with you. It starts with me. It starts with us accepting who we are and what we have really done. Because we have an incredible capacity to fool ourselves into thinking we're so much better than everybody else. Oh, I don't have to forgive them. I know I'm, I'm not really all that great, but I'm better than that person. That's why I don't have to forgive. Jesus told a parable just about this. This is what he said. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of all that I get. How holy can you get, right? Make you sick. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Guys, I, if this is your first time in the church this morning, you just need, you're going to hear it several times. All of us here are nothing but dirty, rotten sinners. We are. We're just forgiven, which is wonderful. We've been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb because of Jesus Christ, because of his cross, because of faith in him. But I'm still broken a sinner that has been forgiven and growing in grace of God there is nobody here who is superior spiritually so you need to know that about us before anything else if you are here because you're broken if you're here because you know you've sinned if you're here because you need forgiveness welcome to the family you're going to fit right in we're here because we know we're broken. You have to accept who you have got to accept that sin. And first of all, don't minimize it, okay? We have that tendency. Well, what I did is not as bad as, oh, really? You want to see what God has to say about trying to minimize your sin? 
Minimize what you've done to somebody else. Well, what, what I did to them or what I did over here isn't nearly as bad as what they did to me. Really? Watch this. James, the half-brother of Jesus, writes to the church and says this. Whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles in just one part is guilty of breaking all of it. Guys, I know that this may not seem right to you, but I don't know that God particularly cares what seems right to you. He is who he is. When you break any part of the law, you've broken it all. There's no such thing of degrees. In our culture, there's degrees. What's the difference between a misdemeanor and a felony? Big deal, isn't it? Yeah, about five years and a huge fine. Did you notice there's no misdemeanors and felonies in the Word of God? There's the law. The law says to love your neighbor as yourself. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And there's breaking the law. Sit. Don't minimize it. And don't excuse it either. Don't excuse it. Well, I couldn't help it. You know, I'm only human. You know, they made me so mad it was really their fault. I, it's not my responsibility. Oh, really? You want to see what God has to say about that? Here we go. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. What you guys have gone through, what I've gone through, other people have gone through as well. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up against it. Are you tempted to hurt somebody? Are you tempted to sin against them? God has provided a way out of that. Look for it. You don't have to do it. We do it. We hurt. We lash out. Because we don't look for the escape clause God built in. We want to hurt. We want to lash out. We have been damaged some way, and we want to strike back. But we don't have to. The first step to forgiveness is accept who we are and what we have really done. I have told you this many, many times. I got it from Tony Campolo. But you need to hear it again. I wish we would all memorize it. Here it is. Ready? The problem with most of us is we're too much like the rest of us. Would you read that with me? The problem with most of us is we're too much like the rest of us. One more time. The problem with most of us is we're too much like the rest of us. Has someone hurt you? Sure. Have you hurt other people? Absolutely. Is what they've done to you worse? Not in God's eyes. No. So first, we accept who we are and what we've really done. Second, we accept the forgiveness of our Father through the cross of Jesus. All this has to do with forgiving other people, okay? I haven't left that theme. We'll get there. But to forgive someone, first you have to accept what you've done and who you are. You're in the same boat. You've done the same sort of things. I've done the same sort of things. Second, then, I've got to accept the forgiveness of God for what I've done. But I do it through the cross of Jesus, and that is so important. You know why? First of all, there is no forgiveness except for the cross. But the second reason is this. We just finished a stand down for the past couple of days and it was my privilege to be here and I had opening prayer and met several of the veterans and in each of the times of our opening ceremonies and even in one of my prayers, I remember praying for them because we know that freedom isn't free, is it? 
Our country is a wonderful country. It's not a perfect country, but it's a wonderful country. We have lots of freedoms. People have actually died to give us those. And the people, a lot of people haven't died. and they've, they've given years of their service. They've been separated from their families so that we could be free. Freedom isn't free. Did you think your forgiveness was free? Did you think that being forgiven was just a matter of God taking an eraser and scrubbing it away? Forgiveness is provided for us because Jesus Christ died for us. Forgiveness is provided for us because the Son of God, who did not sin, was willing to give his life on the cross for us. Look at these passages. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, meaning Jesus, and through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. You're forgiven if you want to be because you're a real nice person. Because God's just an old softy. Because Jesus died on the cross. He even said this himself. The last night that he was with his disciples in the Lord's Supper. While they were eating, Jesus took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and offered to them saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus said, you're going to be forgiven. I'm going to make sure of that. If you want to be forgiven, it'll happen. But it will happen because I die. And it'll happen because my blood is shed for you. You know... Maybe our Catholic brothers and sisters are um, onto something. See, you know the difference between a Catholic cross and a Protestant cross? What is the difference? Okay. The Catholic cross is Jesus is on the cross. If this was a Catholic church, that cross would have the likeness of Jesus on the cross. Now, see, we in the Protestant church, you know, we, we, uh, we get a little haughty in our theology. Oh, but, you know, his work is done and he's resurrected and that's why we don't have him on the cross. But you know what? Have you ever been in a Catholic service or someplace where you've actually seen Jesus hanging on the cross? He's not smiling. He's crying and he's hurting. And it wouldn't be a bad thing every now and then to remember that while the cross is empty and his work is done, and he is exalted at the right hand of our Father. He went through pain so that we would be forgiven. Finally, you do this. Now, 
Okay, you remember what you are, what, what you've done. Okay, you, the trouble with most of us, we're too much like the rest of us. Has someone hurt you? Guess what? You've hurt other people. But what they did is worse. No, it isn't. Not in God's eyes. And the only reason we ever get forgiven is because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Huge price. So you finally do this. Ask yourself this question. How merciful do I want our Father to be with me? Now, that's a good question. How merciful do you really want your Father to be with you? See, the thing that got Jesus the most upset was, uh, was hypocrisy, was religious hypocrisy. If Jesus came back in the flesh like he was, you know, a couple thousand years ago and walking around, I'm sorry, guys, he would not be screaming about the federal deficit. He wouldn't care. Those are such temporary things that he knows are going to pass away. They're really unimportant. He would be once again screaming about, as he did, and confronting religious hypocrisy. Those individuals who think they are better than others. Those individuals who try to take things from God without passing them on. You see, what you have to remember is we are not receivers of God's grace and forgiveness. Did you know that? Did you think you were a receiver of God's grace and forgiveness? If you did, you're wrong. You're a channel of God's grace and forgiveness. It was never supposed to end with you or me. We are not the end result of this. We're not like a glass that gets full of God's grace and mercy and forgiveness. We're like a pipe through which it flows. Jesus once told a, a parable exactly about this. I'll tell it to you. You know it well. Jesus talked about a king who was going to settle accounts with the people in his kingdom. And he called a man into him. This man owed $20 million. How he got into debt to the king for $20 million, I have no idea. It doesn't tell us that. It just says he owed $20 million. And when the man came in to see the king, the king said, pay me. He said, I can't. Okay, throw him into prison. And this is what the man said. He said, King, almighty king, please give me more time and I will pay you. Which was what? A lie. He couldn't pay $20 million if he had 10 lifetimes. His debt was so huge, he could never repay it. But the key here is he didn't realize that. He thought that if he just had a little more time, he could pay it all. What a fool. Do you know what the king did with that fool? What did he do? Did he give him more time? No, he didn't give him any more time at all. What did he do? He forgave all of it. He looked at this guy and said, you can never repay me. It can't be done. So here's what I'm going to do for you. I will cancel. If that happened to you, if your creditors right now, some of you may be in foreclosure, I don't know. Some of you may have debts so huge that you're looking to say, there's no way I can ever pay them. If your creditors called you on the phone this afternoon and said, by the way, just want to let you know, you're even with the board, we're forgiven everything, you don't owe a dime. What would you do? 
Hallelujah. I say, oh man, let's party. Woohoo. This is what this guy did. He left the king. Should have thrown a huge party. Didn't. He walked out, saw a friend of his who owed him about $10,000. Now, that's not an insignificant sum, by the way. And some of you may have read these stories and thought that he just owed a few bucks, but that's not true. He owed 100 denarii, which is 100, a denarii was one day's wage. He owed about one-third of a yearly wage, about $10,000. That's not insignificant. So it's not just about him, you know, being upset over a few bucks. This kid, this guy owed him a bunch. And he said, hey, pay me. Now, he had just been forgiven a $20 million debt. But he couldn't remember that. All he could see was what was owed him. Give it to me, give it to me, give it to me. And the guy falls on his knees. I can't, I can't pay. The guy didn't even give him more time. What did he do? He had him thrown into prison, which is what you got to do back then for debtors. Well, what he did was not, uh, didn't go unobserved. Some of the servants of the king watched this whole thing because it just happened right outside the palace. And they went back. They told the master. He said, do you, you know that guy you just forgave 20 million? He just had his friend thrown in, in prison for 10,000. Now we pick up the story. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all $20 million. He doesn't have a lot of chance of paying that back while he's being tortured, does he? This is a life sentence. And all of this, we could just dismiss away if it wasn't for what Jesus said next. Read it with me. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. How merciful do you want God to be with you? You get to decide. I mean, there's not a lot of things in your control when it comes to God. This is one of them. Are you holding a grudge today? It's killing you. It's killing you. Let it go. You have been forgiven in the name of Jesus Christ through the cross of Jesus Christ. Let it go. Get that rearview mirror down to a proper size. Someone has hurt you, you've hurt others. We are all just broken sinners. And if there is any vengeance, if there is any revenge, if there is anything that needs to be done to that individual who has hurt you so much, our Father has watched it all. And you can trust Him to do what is right. Maybe not what you want done, but what is right. Someone hurt you? Let it go.
One final thing as we close this up. Some of you may be angry with another individual and they don't even know. They don't even know what they've done. And you want to be magnanimous now and call them up and say, I just want you to know that I forgive you. Don't do that. Don't do that. You see, the real problem here isn't what they've done to you. It's the grudge you've held against them. If you call them up at all, you call them and say, forgive me. I've held a grudge against you for years. And it's hurt our relationship. And I'm sorry. Please forgive me. Some of the things that have happened to you, you just need to leave with God. Father, did you see what they did? Yes, I saw. Let it go. I'll deal with them. You move forward. Father, we're going to take a few minutes now in what we call Selah, just a time to think about it. And Father, there may be some, some people that we're going to have to call in the next few days and ask their forgiveness because we know that we have hurt them and we've not sought forgiveness and that chain is wrapped around us and we need to let it go. For many of us, Father, it's something that's happened to us and we need to let that go. Father, give us courage when people seek us out for forgiveness to grant it as quickly as you grant it to us. And we want to move forward with our lives in freedom. Do not let the enemy tie us down by things that happened to us, people who did things to us, who aren't even in the room and yet they influence what we do and how we think and how we live. Satan, in the name of Jesus Christ, we no longer give you that power. You have no power over us. We drop it now at the feet of Jesus. Amen. Pastor.